This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, you're listening to The Morning Run with Chong Jensen, Philip C and I'm Wong Shaoning. It is 7.06 in the morning, Monday the 30th of January and for many people, their first day at work after the uh, start of the Chinese New Year celebrations. But in about 30 minutes, we'll be discussing the outlook for Asian economies this year. But in the meantime, let's recap how global markets closed on Friday. So all key US markets ended up. The Dow was up 0.1%, S&P 500 up 0.3%, the Nasdaq was up by 1%. In Asian markets, the Nikkei was up by 0.1%, Hang Seng up by 0.5%, the Shanghai Composite Index remains closed, the Straits Times Index it was up by 0.5%, and the FBM KLCI it was down by 0.1%. Once again, why are we down when the rest of the world is up? We like to be different. Definitely. Can we please be on the same page as everyone else and go up? But nonetheless, in terms of uh, where international markets are heading, we have on the line with us Kingsley Jones, Chief Investment Officer at Jevons Global. Good morning, Kingsley. Always good to speak to you. Shall we talk about China? Because the markets reopened there today after a week-long Lunar New Year break. What are your expectations for China this year? Even the Shanghai Composite Index is up what, close to 6% on a year-to-date basis and of course Hang Seng up almost 15% on a year-to-date basis. I think, yeah, China should do continue to do well this year. I mean, we've seen uh, the simmering matter of the uh, the, the real estate crisis, uh, you know, kind of find its own level without any real collapse. And I think the Chinese government moves to finally relent on, you know, COVID zero and open up. Notwithstanding, of course, you know, the outbreak of Omicron and, and, you know, the many deaths that resulted, I think at least they're trying to find a pragmatic path forward. And that's going to mean a lot of pent-up demand is released, as we're seeing. Uh, you know, anecdotally, it was a great Chinese New Year and the Year of the Rabbit uh, for people celebrating. And I think that that enthusiasm is likely to carry us forward through this year. And that has obvious implications for the commodity complex uh, you know, here in Australia, we're seeing iron ore robust. We, we don't think that iron ore is going to have a breakout year this year, uh, but we do think the battery metals uh, are going to continue to do well off the back of the energy transition. So that's, you know, lithium, copper, rare earths, and to a lesser extent, nickel and cobalt. And Kingsley, I mean, besides the commodity story, I think the consumer story seems also very robust. Uh, you see that I think data coming out from China that actually uh, consumption activity and patterns seem to be even higher than pre-pandemic levels. Uh, where are the consumption stock opportunities there in China? I think within China, you know, there is a real question mark there in my mind because we we had not not about the extent of the activity or, or what you mentioned, but just the stock picking aspect, I think, is made a little bit tricky by the fact that we've had such a soft period for so long. So I think, therefore, we just have to be guided by where you're seeing good company results. Um, certainly, we know that outside of China, you know, the luxury stocks in Europe have, have just had a, a, a tremendous period. Uh, you know, LVMH and uh, you know other names like Richemont. Uh, but interestingly, a lot of that's attributable to very strong conditions in the United States. Uh, so in our mind, that suggests that notwithstanding the rate rises, conditions uh, in liquidity and financial markets are probably not yet really tight enough uh, to slow this um, you know, demand. So what that means for China is now that we've got the government actively moving to stimulus, I think the consumer sector is an excellent place to play. And one really just needs to go through a list of such names. 
and see what their earnings reports are looking like and what the anecdotal stories are in the media in terms of what's really selling now, what people really want to do. But you would think food-related companies are probably going to do well, entertainment, travel, uh, obviously gaming, um, and, uh, you know, I think autos will have a rebound. And Kingsley, aside from the Australian commodities, how do you see the normalisation of trading relations with China impacting Australia's property sector, which is already taking a beating from rising input costs as well as higher lending rates? Well, firstly, it's obviously good that those trade relations are starting to normalise because it got pretty messy there for a bit. Um, But on the property sector, I'm not sure that we're going to see the sort of inbound Chinese investment that we saw before. And and that's just for understandable reasons. You know, the, the relationship got pretty acrimonious in the press there for a while. So a lot of folks are just going to stay away. Um, I, I don't see the Chinese uh, investor as a saviour for the present Australian property market. Um, indeed, you know, we had the chi- significant investor visa program for some years. Uh, they're still running now, but it's up for uh, renewal and it may not get renewed partly because of the politics. Uh, and just for context, you know, of the 2,300 visas that were issued under that program where if you invested $5 million in approved uh, investments, which included real estate, uh, then you could kind of earn a visa under uh, certain uh, staying requirements. Uh, you know, 85% of applicants, uh, successful applicants for that were of Chinese, uh, Chinese nationals. So, look, I, I think that the solution for the Australian real estate market is, I'm sorry to say, just lower prices will be the cure for lower prices. Uh, eventually, we'll see affordability kick in uh, because there's a new generation of homeowners now who want to get on the uh, on the home property ladder. And prices, frankly, with these mortgage rates, are still probably not low enough for them to be able to participate. So just wait a while. We don't envisage a collapse, but maybe an extended period whilst we wait for wages to catch up and for those mortgage rates to come down. So maybe next year. Okay, Kingsley, let's talk about the Australian economy since we've been uh, focusing on it. Uh, Inflation for the final three months of 2022, the fastest pace in 32 years. CPI now advanced to 7.8% from a year ago. Sorry, 7.8% from a year earlier. What does this all mean for the Australian economy? I think it means that we're in for an extended period of adjustment in attitudes. Uh, You know, we just had low inflation for so long. And I would mention it's probably forgotten, particularly outside of Australia, that during the prosperous period when our economy was growing pretty strong, we actually had declining real per capita um, GDP. Um, and and so I think that that's often forgotten, and it partly explains why uh, it's been difficult for uh, newer workers to get on the property ladder, because the wealth per capita wasn't necessarily growing, as you would expect. Um now we have this period of adjustment to higher interest rates, but also low employment, uh, unemployment. Now that's a good thing, but it, I think it means that we're going to see pent up wage demands, maybe uh, you know elevating these interest rates for some time. So it's going to be a, a difficult period, I think, of adjustment. And just for context, you know, I spent some time in the in the university library here in Canberra, just reading some old articles from the 1970s and the parallels were quite striking you know i am old enough to remember that period but but thankfully not very clearly um but when i read those articles the stories were much the same you know everyone's surprised at inflation rates and also higher interest rates and kingsley investments into oil and gas capex have dropped significantly over the last decade in favor of renewable energies is there going to be a future for fossil fuels in australia 
Yeah, I think so. And uh, that might seem odd given the fact that we all know we're on a journey to net zero and ultimately phasing out fossil fuels. Um, but, but the reason has to do with basic, um, you know, math to do with the outstanding, how can I put this, the astounding population of cars and motor vehicles and other fossil fuel consuming assets in the world and the trajectory of how quickly we can replace them. And that's going to be a glide path down, obviously. Um, and it's going to take some time. It might take 20 years or more. Uh, notwithstanding your know, rapid improvements in EVs and so on, you've still got to sell a new EV for every uh, internal combustion engine taken off the road. So I, I think there is a future for fossil fuels. It, it's not necessarily a growth-oriented future. It might be more appropriate capital management and a focus on the better assets, uh, you know, the, the high-quality coal, for example, as we've seen in Australia with thermal coal. Um, and also, you know, the better natural gas assets and indeed those that can also produce hydrogen, albeit probably blue hydrogen to start with. Uh, and as we decarbonize areas like cement, uh, we do see a role for carbon sequestration, uh, it, which I would I might add is actually proceeding apace now. I know I just read a news article about uh, I think it was Petronas in Malaysia. Uh, launching a project in that area. And in Australia, we've got a terrific asset in Bass Strait. Uh, that is the world's best uh, recognised, underutilised, that is to say not utilised carbon sequestration asset in Bass Strait. Um, so we think there'll be a future, but I wouldn't be shouting from the rooftops about, uh, you know, the positive elements of the oil and gas industry. Mm. It's more that investors will be allocating capital between both, we think. All right. Thank you very much for your time. That was Kingsley Jones, Chief Investment Officer at Japan's Global, giving us his views on global markets and uh, still pretty much a commodity bull, especially when you're talking about the metals on the back of China's reopening. Yeah, and I think he also likes the consumer space, but you have to focus on earnings delivery. So he mentioned sectors like food-related, entertainment, travel and even auto. This is in relation to China's reopening, Correct, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think as you saw, there was a lot of uh, pictures of throng, cr throng, throngs of crowds all across China as they've all been locked down for the past two years. Of course. Wouldn't you be out there, cabin fever? Uh, turning our attention very quickly to results that came out in the US on Friday night, American Express. Their shares surged the most in two years after this credit card giant predicted that revenue and earnings for this year will surge well above expectations. And earnings per share came in at $2.07 versus $2.22 expected. Revenue also came in at $14.18 billion versus $14.21 billion expected. But the quarter had also a $1.03 billion of provision for credit losses, while analysts were expecting $949 million. And the move weighed on profit which dropped 9% to $1.57 billion. I think three things that I think uh, will affect Amex a lot. One is that they've actually tweaked the rewards on many of its cards, which actually have added new card holders. Number two, actually, it's also been the beneficiary from this rebound in travel and dining as a result of this pandemic recovery. But I think the third part that distinguishes it from other cards is that it really focuses on the premium segment. And this segment seems to be more resilient relative to the other mass market segments out there. Yeah, and it would be interesting to see whether, you know, if you're... Or a 
a businessman or you basically work for a large MNC or corporate, you might be spending far more, right? Because you'll be traveling a lot more and mm. will you be charging it to your corporate card? I think those all make a difference towards Amex earnings. But the street doesn't seem to like it. Well, evenly split, I would say more towards downwards, not liking it because there's only 14 by 16 holes. Three cells, consensus target price for this stock is 173 US dollars. Last time's price was already up $16.43 to $172.31. But I won't be surprised if after this, we will see more upgrades from the street. So that's a possibility, especially the results being quite positive. But up next, we're going to be covering the top stories in newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned for that. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.